Genesis chapter 2. Um, tonight, I um, this is the next to last sermon in the relationship series, and um, we're going to talk about the relationship between uh, parents and children. And, you know, all of our relationships are shadows of, of God and His image that we bear. And the parent-child relationship uh, is a really, really powerful shadow of His connection to us. And so in some ways, this is about parenting. And in other ways, it is about being a child of God. It's kind of like this both-and kind of deal. Um, we, can, we can learn a ton about the parenting from the way that God interacts with us. And uh, really, the way that, that you guys as parents parent your children is a shadow of this heavenly reality. Just like husbands and wives are a shadow of Jesus in the church. Just like uh, the the connection and commitment between like friends is a connect is a shadow of the commitment that that God makes to us. Just like our covenant commitment as church members is a reflection of this covenant keeping faithful God. All these relationships are shadows of this heavenly reality, and every one of us is connected to children somehow. And so, as someone who is not a parent. I understand that it's easy whenever you hear that the topic is parenting to like check out for various reasons. Maybe it's because you just don't have kids. Maybe it's because you are very far in your mind from being a parent. Uh, maybe parenting is a, is a difficult subject for you. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you're married and you've been trying to have kids and you don't have kids yet. Or, or perhaps just the thought of God as a father brings up a lot of like trouble from your childhood or, or whatever. I understand that for some of you, parenting is incredibly relevant. And then the other end of the, of the extreme is that you don't want to even think about it. And there's a bunch of different places in between. Um, can we just be open to both of those, both ideas happening tonight? Both, this is a parenting sermon, and this is a how to be a child of God sermon, and looking at his interaction with us. Uh, if you are connected to children, though, this is relevant to you. So you might be a parent, or you might be a, an aunt or an uncle, you might uh, have friends who have kids. You might uh, be in like a church member here who is in covenant with parents and their kids. Uh, you might be a teacher who works with kids. You might have kids on your street. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways where, um, regardless of your like uh, what your tax return would look like and how many dependents you have, you are and I are connected to children. And God wants us to be uh, on the same page about that. So uh, I want to look at God's interaction with Adam and Eve in, in Eden. And there's five just things I want to pull out. And with a narrative like this, it's kind of hard sometimes to reduce it down. So I'm just going to give you five words that are kind of summary words for, for these points. So Adam and Eve were, are made in the image of God. And that, that word image is the same thing that's used later on to talk about Someone being the son of someone else. And so if you have a son or a daughter, they are, they are made in your image. Well, that's the same terminology. And so when God says that Adam and Eve were made in his image, it's, it's another way of saying that they are children of his. And so that connection that's there 
is uh, is really it's that strong family bond that um, is just kind of indescribable in a lot of ways. And so God's interaction with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Eden is sort of the first historically, uh, like historically, it's the first example of parenting that we see. So let me sh- let me just kind of bring out five things that might be helpful in terms of seeing how God is a parent. Um, the first word is environment. Look at Genesis 2, starting in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man uh, to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust and from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Um, I don't know. I I can't remember how I researched this. Say that word. Bedellum, maybe? And onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so there's this environment that God has created for his children. And it is perfect to him. It's absolutely perfect to him. He's going to have children, and he's going to put them in the most pristine environment possible. And so he plants this garden, and he supplies it with these rivers, and there are these trees that provide the food, and God is with them in the garden. And we know what's to come. There are, are animals, there's a wife, there's like all this stuff. God is walking in the garden with them. It is the perfect environment. A complete picture of provision and meeting their needs. And isn't that what we want for our kids? I'm going to say our kids a lot, so just roll with me on that. But they're, they're ours in a sense. Parents, isn't that what you want for your kids? You want them to have the perfect environment growing up. You want them to have everything perfect, spiritually perfect, emotionally perfect, socially perfect, mentally perfect, physically perfect. You want them to be safe. You want them to be healthy. You want them to have fun. uh, And all these things to work together to make them into the kind of people God wants them to be. Of course you want that for your kids. God wanted that for his own kids, and and he made it happen. Um... But it's by his definition of perfect. You know, as he created things, he kept saying that they were good, that he was pleased with them. And with man, he was very, he said it was very good. 
And God creates this perfect environment because he's the perfect parent. And you want to create a perfect environment because you want to be the perfect parents. But yet his definition of perfect was probably different than ours. Like it, it includes things and excludes things that maybe, you know, maybe we wouldn't think of. Like if I was to ask you, like, hey, what do you think is the perfect environment for your kids? You would probably not say some trees they can eat from and a couple of rivers. Would you? Some of you are like, that sounds a lot simpler than a billion toys and you know, whatever, right? But he's providing for their needs. He's with them, like, in, like unhindered. And everything that they could possibly want or need is just right there. But it's his version of what they need. And I know from being friends with a lot of parents a lot over the years, that sometimes it's a struggle to know what's the perfect environment for my child. So, like, you can, you can give them what you had growing up. You know, sometimes that's what's perfect is you're like, I'm going I'm to give them, like, things that I think are really important because this was important to me. Or you want to maybe overcorrect from things that you had growing up that were negative and you're like, we ain't never doing that in my house. Um, or maybe you are, maybe a part of that is like, what's the, what's the perfect environment? Well, let me look around at other people's environments. Let me make sure that my environment is, is like keep, keeping a competitive edge with the others, you know, in that kind of way. Maybe you read a lot of articles online and stuff about parenting. And so maybe your idea of what's the perfect environment for your child has a lot of different voices speaking into it. But the perfect parent who create the perfect environment, who is holy, meaning that sin has never worked its way in there for him. He knows what your kid needs. He knows what our kids need. He knows what that environment looks like. He knows what, the, he knows what they need spiritually and mentally and emotionally and socially and physically. He knows what that whole mixture of things looks like. He knows it in a way that it has, is unaffected by your childhood memories or by what other people their age, like the same age you know, and stuff are doing or whatever Facebook tells us and all that kind of stuff. He is unaffected by all that stuff and he knows because he created your kid. You didn't create your kid. He created your kid. He knows what they need and he wants to weigh in on it. So in terms of environmental things, what are you going to surround them with? What's the context of their lives? Parents need to ask, not assume, not try to keep up, not compare, to ask him as the perfect parent. So the first thing that we see is there's this perfect environment that he also wants to create for your kids. Second thing, uh, you can write the word safeguard. So right after, so after this, after this, he's created this perfect environment. Look at verse sixteen. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." So knowing that there was an enemy. God safeguarded his children 
with, uh, I've, I just kind of put down two things. He safeguarded them with truth, and he safeguarded them with boundaries. So between um, like, like the, the creation of the world and the creation of man, like somewhere in that deal, there was a rebellion in the angelic realm. And these angels who, who have free will, uh, some of them got together and they followed this lead angel who uh, said, basically said, hey, I'm pretty sure we can do what he does. And they rivaled the Lord and uh, led this, this big rebellion. And Satan was the leader of that rebellion. And so God, knowing that there was an enemy who hated him and would also hate his children, uh, God said, okay, I need to safeguard my children against this attack from the, like, from the enemy. And so he hooks them up, and he said, he basically he 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 says, okay, this is this is the truth that all these trees in the garden are good for you, that this one tree is bad for you. That's the truth, and so the boundary is you can eat from every tree out there, but this one tree don't eat from that. Now he doesn't get into like, okay, well, let me tell you about this angelic rebellion and like this and this and this. He doesn't explain all that kind of stuff. He says, here's what you need to know. Every tree in here is good for you except for this one. Therefore, you cannot eat of this tree. And so there's a safeguard that's put into place. And so good parents, as you know, you set up safeguards for your kids. You tell them what is true. You tell them, like if there's like a fire pit, okay, that fire pit will burn you, so don't go near it. But there are times when they're younger when they don't, they're not, they don't understand, like, like, you know, getting burned, they don't understand fire, they don't understand all that kind of stuff. They just see like a flickering light and they want to run toward it, right? So they're young, you don't sit them down, you don't sit a, year, a kid that's a year old down like, okay, kid, let's talk about fire and how it works and why it's dangerous. You just grab them and say, and say no. And then as they get older, you begin to explain to them, no, that's hot. And so they're learning, okay, hot things, hot things burn you. And then as they get a little bit older, they realize, well, not all hot things burn you, but fire is like a different kind of hot. And then they get to where then they see it, then they begin to know. And so you're conditioning them as they're ready for it. And so you're giving them truth as they're ready to, die, to digest it, and you're setting boundaries based on where they are appropriately. But God does that same thing for us. He is uh, telling us the truth, and he is setting boundaries. And so for you as parents, yes, fire pits are important to, for them to know about, but but really, aren't you telling them the truth and setting up boundaries in order to safeguard them against the attack of the enemy, the weirdness of the world, the brokenness of their own flesh? Aren't you doing that in such a way where you're trying to tell them the truth, the truth about God, the truth about the Bible, the truth about the church, the truth about themselves, the truth about you as mom and dad, the truth about how the world works, the truth about everything as they are ready for it? That's your job as parents. Is to figure out what do they what do they need right now? Like how can I safeguard them? How can I how can I give this to them? How can I equip them for where they are in the moment? And what safeguards can I put in place for things they just don't they just don't understand? They just don't know about. And so as that happens, um, they're being equipped to live like to really live their lives. And that's sort of the, like the long-range goal of, uh, and trajectory of parenting, is you want them to be like self-sufficient, stable, uh, healthy human beings. And that comes in little 
incremental baby steps. But at each step along the way, it's going to involve certain safeguards like this, and your kids are not going to like it. There are plenty of times when you put up a safeguard, and they're like, you, I hate you, and you don't know what you're doing, this and this and this. And the truth is, they don't hate you, and you do know what you're doing. But from their perspective, they, just, they don't know. If you're a parent, you know. They do not. So you set the boundaries. You, you are the one speaking the truth, but both of those things have to be there. You, you don't need to set a boundary without there being truth to go with it. And you don't need to just tell them the truth, but then never set up any boundaries. Like God models this perfectly for us. All the trees are bad. This one, I mean, all the trees are good. This one is bad. So eat of all the other trees. Do not eat of this one. As parents, as people connected to kids, we're the, like, we're the ones who know. We're the ones that set the boundaries. We're also the ones that are speaking the truth to them in the midst of that boundary setting. And as they get older and as they mature and as they grow, those, the amount of information and, and the boundaries, all those kind of things morph and change. But God is showing us here like, that, that parenting, that's a part of, a part of the gig. Um, so that's the second thing. So environment, we see safeguards. The third thing, you can write the word freedom. Some of you are going to hate this, but it's okay. Verse 28. And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with... uh, Every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So chapters 1 and 2 are not, they're not, uh, they fit together, but it's not necessarily chronological, so... Don't get confused by the fact we went back to chapter 1. So this moment, like when God's like, okay, I'm going to turn you loose into creation. This is after he has created the perfect environment. He has told Adam the truth and set the boundaries. He has created a wife for Adam to be a strong rescuer and helpmate to him in fulfilling their calling. And in this part of the, of the passage, he turns them loose. says, okay, Go. Be fruitful, multiply, take care of creation. This is what I've called you to. You are fully equipped to go and to do this. So after telling the truth, and safeguarding him, setting the boundaries, fully informing him, based on what he was ready to handle, he sends them out. And that's a parenting move that's got to be, it's got to be so hard. To let your kids just like go and like be, be kids. And I think it's important to keep in mind that your kids, your kids have a calling also. Like God sent Adam and Eve, like he put this before them, said this is what you're called to. Your children, doesn't matter their age, they also have a calling. And it's not just down the road, 
you know, they're like, well, one day they're going to like, you know, no, they have a calling currently. So if you're a parent or if you're connected to a kid, like find some of the kids that you're the closestly connected to and think about them for a second. They are called to something right now. Isn't that that a beautiful thought? That they they have a purpose? That they're fulfilling something that God has designed them to do? That they have spiritual gifts now? And you're, like, that they're like blessing the congregation now? That God's character shows up in them now in ways that are meant to build us? Maybe they haven't been baptized yet. Maybe they haven't professed Christ as Savior yet. In their, in their, in their just normal image-bearing self, they're fulfilling what God has created them to do. They have friends they might not be the deepest of friendships, but they have friends, they have interactions with people. They are learning, they are being formed, and that's kind of one of their main jobs right now, is just to like become a person. But they're learning and they're growing and they're they're missionaries right now. Like if you're a disciple of Christ and you have kids, your kids are also missionaries with you. And you might be able to watch them as, as they grow. And maybe they go from being toddlers and they maybe get into school and as they grow. And if they're growing up in the church and they begin to think like, oh, I'm, I'm called to this, this school. I'm called to these classes. I'm called to these friends. This is my campus. Like this is, These are my people that God has gifted me and called me to go to. And so all that stuff is happening within them. And they have to be turned loose to go and be who God made them to be. And so if, if, if this progression that, that, that I'm kind of mapping out here, if that's happening, if there's an environment that you've invited God into to help you create that is the pristine, perfect environment for them, and you are helping to safeguard them with, with, with the truth and, and with boundaries, and you're, you're letting him show you how to meet them where they are and what they're ready for, and that's happening, then you can let them go and like be themselves. Now, at certain points, that might mean like you just let them go play on a playground, and you just kind of like look the other way, and just you know try not to like <laughs> you know like I, like I understand that that's got to be nervous. I, I have a, a niece, and she's like a one hundred percent girl niece at this point, and she falls all the time. And I, what I want to do is like as she's going down, like like slow motion dive, and like per, like save her life. When really most of the time when she falls, she just laughs and gets back up. Like I understand that, that that in some stages of parenting, like setting them free is like little stuff like that. Of like I'm just going to let them play. I'm not going to try to coach them in how to play. I'm not trying to coach them in how to be two, you know. But then as they get older, you know, like, like I hear people talk about like that, like putting them on the bus for the first time, and you're just, just how gut wrenching that can be. That's that's in some ways what God did here. Is He equipped them? This is what you're called to do. Go and go and do that. Get on the bus. Go to kindergarten. I'll go inside and cry for a while. You know, like, like that kind of stuff. That's not something that's lost on the Lord. That's not Him saying you don't have any faith in your in, in Him or whatever. It's just like it's part of being a parent. But that has to happen. And as they grow, those freedoms have to change. And so you have to have those times when you're you're thinking, can can I equip them for what I'm sending them out to do? 
And if I've equipped them, if I've asked God, God help me, and he said, this is what you need to do, and then you do that, and then you send them, that's a rhythm that has to be built into, into your life. And so the approach is not like, hey, how can I keep a bad thing from ever happening to my kid? It is, how can I equip them so that as the bad things happen, they know what to do, or they know where to turn. And it ain't always to mom and dad. Are you teaching them to take things to the Lord before they take them to people? Is that, is that like something that's happening? Well, if you're involving God in the environment and you're involving him in, the, in the, the safeguarding, then you can involve him in the freedom and just know that that's like a thing that all these parents in the room and all you aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and everyone can relate to is that there's a certain nervousness the first time that kid gets behind the wheel of a car with their license and drives away. It's universal. It's part of the gig. But God models this for us in the equipping of what they need. Fourth point. You can write the word sin. I don't know. Sin. So, there they are, Adam and Eve, safeguarded by God himself. <laughs> like, this wasn't like some, uh, you know, Yahoo just winging it, trying to tell them about, like, what trees to not eat of. God himself, the perfect parent, looked that dude in the eyes and said, do not eat from this tree, it is bad for you. Eat from all the rest of them. And we all know what happens, but I'm going to read it anyway. Verse 1, now the serpent, okay, so this is that fallen angel. This is the leader of that rebellion. This is, this is the reason for the safeguard. Uh, shows up in the form of a serpent. So the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Notice how she, she recounts perfectly the equipping of the perfect parent. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So God said that to Adam. Eve was not around yet. He creates Eve. Adam passed the message on. He didn't keep it to himself. Like they had talked about it. She could quote him. Word for word. So the equipping of the perfect parent is in place. He's sent them out to go and fulfill their calling. And the serpent says in verse 4, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, even though they were prepared, when presented with a lie, Side by side with the truth that they knew. They bought into the lie. And they messed things up. 
And your kids, no matter how much you've prepared them and equipped them and safeguarded them and created this perfect environment, your kids are going to break your heart at some point. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe it has yet to come. Maybe that's the very thing you talked about on the way here tonight. But it's going to happen. That, too, is part of the gig. And when it happens, it's not a direct reflection on you or your parenting. So don't let it catch you by surprise, and definitely don't let it send you spinning. You have these image bearers that you're raising, and they, too, were born with a will. They, too, were born with a bullseye on them, especially because being born with parents who are Christians, yet they have an enemy who hates them and does not want them to know the grace and love of Jesus. And the truth is, you have learned from your encounters with sin. and They will learn from their encounters with sin. And so as parents, I know this cannot be easy, but perhaps seeing their encounters with sin as a, a, a painful part of their refinement, that might be a really healthy thing. Um. To see it as an opportunity for them to come into direct contact with reasons that Jesus came to die for them. For them to be able to say, uh, why did Jesus die for me? Oh, I can, I can name you my top five list. As much as you as parents want to protect them from ever having a painful thing in their whole lives, you realize that God did not do that with his own children. And so that's not being a godly parent it's okay to desire that. You know, it's like, man, I would love it if my kid never got hurt in their whole lives. That's just fine. It's a healthy desire. You don't want your kids to experience pain, but you're not going to protect them from it. They have to come up against it. They, they have to enter into that darkness. Um, but if their environment has been led by the Lord... And they have heard truth and boundaries and been safeguarded. They have been set free. They are allowed in that freedom to be hurt and it not be a devastating thing to them. Because they have been well trained at home. And hopefully here. And hopefully in community group. And hopefully listening to mom and dad dialogue on the way to and from places. And you know you know how they're like professional eavesdroppers anyway, right? So hopefully they're picking up on all this amazing stuff that helps them know that people mess up. Mom and dad mess up. So perhaps sin, not being the kind of thing that exists in a house only when the kids mess up and act like mom and dad never do. Perhaps confessing your sin when you sin against your kids, maybe you sit them down and you talk about your own brokenness. Perhaps sin not being this like big, like that's what, that's what makes you get in trouble kind of thing to where no one ever wants to talk about it is important. Because in the last point, I'll talk about like there are different responses to it, but, but parents, your kids, your kids are going to sin, even with all that equipping. But in their sinning, their, can their roots win out? Can they mess up and rebound faster than some of us have in our lives? Can that be like a thing that they're training conditioned to do from a very young age? I believe that they can. And I think a part of the key is looking at the last point, which is the word discipline. So, so you see the response of the kids, right? Look at verse 8. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Parents, you ever, you ever like, your kids did something wrong and you go looking for them, you can't find them? They're hiding from you? That's where they learned it. They're biblical scholars. They knew exactly what to do. It's like this, like, it's a part of us. Like, we, when something has gone wrong, when you have been said, hey, don't, when you've been told, don't do this, and you do it, there's a, this shameful part of you, and so they're hiding. And so God called to them. Uh, verse 9, Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. We see the shame, we see the hiding, we see the fear. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So, of course, he knew the answer. It's an old parenting technique. Make you confess. The man said, the woman, uh, of course, he blames her. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. God said, the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So there's this blame game. They're they're hiding. They're ashamed. They've fashioned clothes together because they're like they're like something is different, and they don't. They're just trying to cover themselves up, and all that fear and all that shame. Like your kids feel the same way whenever they have done something they weren't supposed to do. You and I feel that same way when we've done something. So it's like it's like it's part of this inherited brokenness that we have. That that's our instinct. To hide, to blame people, to be afraid, to try to cover it up. There's all kinds of different coping mechanisms that we learn. And so if you've created this environment for your kids and you've safeguarded them and you've sent them out and they have messed something up, what is your response going to look like? It might be helpful to like, think about their reaction here. It's probably a lot like your kids' reaction too. There's a lot of stuff going on inside of them. And so what does God do? Well, he responds in a couple ways. I'm not going to read all of the, uh, the consequences there, but he basically looks at the serpent and says, okay, this is your reality. The woman, this is your reality. And Adam, this is your reality. Uh, he does this thing called discipline. And when we hear discipline, we think like spanking, right? Or like timeout or like some sort of thing because we grew up in American schools where that's like discipline was like a bad thing. I felt a discipline slip on you, you know? When I was a kid, you could get paddled. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but that was like the worst thing in the world to have to go get paddled. Uh, that was discipline, and so it was always like, a, you're in trouble, therefore you'll be disciplined. But discipline is rooted in the world disciple, which is about learning. It's about teaching. And so his discipline of them is not, is not like, okay, well, you've got to get a whipping now. You know? it's, his discipline of them is like, okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into touch with the reality of what this means. Here's a, just real quick, a couple of things. He tells them the truth. That's a part of the discipline. He says, this is what's going to happen, and this is why. Each of those, each of those different th- th- points he addresses, he looks at Eve and says, because you did this, this is what's going to happen. To Adam, because you did this, this is what's going to happen. Like he brings them in touch with reality and tells them why. He doesn't discipline just for no reason at all. There's this explanation that's there. Which is a part of teaching the, like the kid. Like I, you need to connect the punishment to the action. You know? like there's, he's connecting dots for them. He disciplines them with truth. He disciplines by letting them feel the pain. Like Adam and Eve both have, like, they have a painful uh, like path forward because of this. And he lets them 
He doesn't shelter them from it. He's like, well, this is going to hurt. And that's not an endorsement for one kind of punishment over another. It's saying, no, this is going to hurt. And so sometimes, there, you know, in some houses, the, the hurt is a physical discipline. Sometimes hurt is even like, you're going to have to go apologize. You know? And some kids are like, I'd rather take a whipping than have to go apologize for something. But he lets them feel the pain because that is a part of, of them learning. Then, uh, look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So as a parent, a part of the discipline is God sacrificed for his kids. They're sitting there with some leaves covering them up. They're all ashamed because they're naked. God goes and like, gets them clothes from skins, which means that some of the animals that he just created, that Adam named, had to die. And that's a sacrifice to God of his own creation. And parents, you all know this, that when you're disciplining your kids, it is a sacrifice to you in some pretty deep, important ways. And the old, you know, like, oh, this hurts you more than it hurts me. You know, like, I, well, maybe, but I never bought it. <laughs> but now, can you think about it? Don't you think about it that differently for those of you who are adults? You're like, okay, I kind of understand now more what, what, it's mean, what it means there. It's because it is, it is sacrificial for parents to discipline their kids. Because it hurts you. And so you may have to sacrifice being liked. You might have to sacrifice um, always like feeling like the vibes are good in your house. You, know, you might have to sacrifice time to sit there and go talk to your kid. You might have to sacrifice all kinds of different things in order to discipline them, to disciple them in the midst of the sin that has happened. But that's what God models for us. It was costly to him. And then he goes and he puts clothes on them. Like, he doesn't sit there and scald them, like, why, why are you worried about being naked? That's how I made you. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. He, doesn't, he doesn't belittle them or tell them not to be, a, he or, you know, not to think that's weird and just go on, you know, like, just carry on or whatever. He's like, no, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you in this weirdness that you're now experiencing. I'm going to put clothes on you. That's grace right there. Think about this perfect God of the universe who has no idea what it's like to sin. He has no idea what it's like to be ashamed. He has no idea why, like, why would you hide? Why would this happen? But his kids, this is their reality. They're busted and broken about this. And he's like, okay, well, I can see that the nakedness for you is a huge deal. I'm going, I'm going to graciously meet you where you are and help you through my own sacrifice. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to let you feel the pain. I'm going to put you outside of the garden, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave you in the ways that you, know, that you might think. That's discipline. You know that the story, the story goes on. Adam and Eve, they're outside of the garden. They have these boys, and you know that those boys grow up worshiping God and making sacrifices. That they, they didn't like rebel against this God that kicked him out of the garden. They loved him more. And then what does one kid do? One kid kills the other kid. I'm like, oh, great. And it keeps happening and happening and happening. And that discipline and that teaching and that, like all those kinds of things, you know that parenting is, is one of the most like painful relational ties that you can have. But it's also one of the, like, the greatest joys in the world. 
And so you have this kid that's made in your image or you're related to this kid or you know these kids that are these image bearers and all you want for them is to have everything that God wants them to have. And from the, the perfect parent, we see those, those five things. We see he knows what environment to create. He knows the safeguards that need to be put into place. He knows he's with them when they are sent out in freedom. He understands that sin and our brokenness is going to create some pain. And he shows us how to respond. To respond being full of grace and being full of truth. And if you and I want to model this kind of like parent-child relationship... We gotta, we gotta become. We have to have like mastery knowledge of his relationship with us, because he has done that for us. He's met us in this environment. He's, he's told us the truth. He's told us the boundaries. He's met us in our sin with a solution that is Jesus, and invited us into his own life. He's let us feel the pain of the busted world we we're in, to feel the pain of our own sin and mistakes, and yet his goodness overwhelms us when we just pay attention to it. So who is the perfect parent for your kids? God is the perfect parent for your kids. And he looks at you and says, okay, I'm going to entrust them to you. And I'm going to coach you through it. Just ask me. And so there it is. God is our perfect model of a parent. Let's, uh, let's stand together. God, we are grateful to you for... Um, for your shepherding and love of us. I'm thankful, God, that we see ourselves in the way that you interact with Adam and Eve. We see you telling us the truth. We see you um, sharing your life with us, inviting us into your life. We, we see you responding to our sin with a ton of truth and with a ton of grace. We see you as our perfect heavenly father who knew that we needed divine intervention in order to be saved from ourselves and from our own brokenness. We see you as our father who continues to discipline us, to teach us, to shape us, to let us um, in the midst of pain and just struggle, God, for us to be able to experience your goodness and your closeness we thank you for being the model to us. And so as we respond, just in these closing moments, in song and uh, at the communion table for those who want to participate, God, would you help us to, uh, to just for a moment lay aside any sort of uh, application we might want to jump to as parents or as those connected to kids in different ways. But could you help us to respond in these few moments as children, as sons and as daughters made in your image, broken, that image was broken by our sin, and yet you come to offer us healing and wholeness that's found only only in one place, to approach our Lord and our Savior and also our brother and our friend. So through song and through prayer and through communion, God, do you remind us of your goodness and your mercy to us? That as we seek to apply this later on, to know what to pass on to others, we have to know what you have first passed to us. So I'm thankful for this reminder. We love you very much. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's sing a little bit. Meg is serving communion down here tonight. Uh,
And as we respond, let's just keep in mind that we are, we're a bunch of children coming to the same place in need of the same things. So let's sing together.